Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Thank you, thank you. You may take your seats, of course. I'm gonna, not going to make you stand for all two hours of this message. It's a joke, it's a joke. Just an hour and 50. Now we're just going to see what God's going to do today. He, uh, <laughs> about half an hour ago, he told me to scrap the first quarter of my message. So, it's always a good sign. Why don't we pray? Jesus, we need you. God, we just stop right now and we pause in your presence. We say, we uh, release everything that we've been attacked with this week, everything that's heavy on our hearts. We put it at your throne. We put it at your feet where it belongs. And we just breathe you in. We have to breathe you in so that we can breathe you out. That I'm so thankful for breath right now. What you're breathing on the church. No, we are in a move. We are in a move. We do not want to miss it. We want to be right there behind you. The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. We, we follow you. We step forward. That's what we're named after. That's what the arrows in our church name represent. Movement. Stepping forward after you, after the faithful people that have, that have launched the church of Jesus Christ, the apostles. We now stand in their shoes, on their shoulders. We step forward and we push the next generation further and faster and harder into your presence. Because if we don't have your presence, we, we don't have anything. That is the only measurement of success in our lives is the presence of God. And so, God, we chase everything with everything that we have after you today. That's our declaration. We lay everything down at your feet, God. Our hearts are open. Our hearts are ready. We're listening. We're leaning in to what you're going to say. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. And Isaiah 9 is a great Christmas verse, but it's so much more than that. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, For unto us a child shall be born. Unto us a son shall be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's the Trinity right there. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There shall be no end to the increase of his government and of peace, and he shall rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from that time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. 
man, the Father God has to be so proud of his son. My son just turned 13 yesterday, and uh, which is crazy. Like 13 years, it just goes so fast. This, this life is just a breath. And if we're not pressing into the most important thing, we're, we're just going to miss it all. And I'm so thankful for my son and my daughter. I, I asked my daughter's permission to tell this story. This is what the, the Spirit put on my heart right before the service. Back in May, some of you know this story. Back in May, I was working from home on a Thursday afternoon. And my kids, they're homeschooled. And they were, they were finishing up their school. And so they were sitting down to eat lunch about 1 o'clock or so. And, and my daughter was eating a cheese stick. She was at the, the, the counter bar, and I was at the kitchen table. And the mozzarella slid down and lodged in her throat, and she stopped breathing. And, um, you know, choking is silent. You don't hear it. And my, my son was sitting right next to her, and we don't know how long she was without breath. But my son was the one that, that first realized it. And he said, Jules, Jules. And she wasn't responding. She was turning a, a, a different shade. She had, was already losing a lot of oxygen. And I, of course, ran over to help her. And I ended up doing the Heimlich on her. And my wife started praying. And I was so proud of my son. His first response, he started running around the living room, yelling out the name of Jesus. And praise God, that, that mozzarella stick popped out on the third or fourth thrust, and she had breath again. I'm so thankful for breath. And this last week, some of you may know the story of what happened in a church in California. The two-year-old daughter of some worship leaders out there, last Saturday, woke up without any breath. She was pronounced dead. And the whole world watched as these worship leaders pressed in and asked God to raise her from the dead, to give her breath again. And part of the church of God globally pressed in alongside, and part of it throughout its judgment. And God hasn't raised her yet from the dead. But he can. He will one day. But this is what I know, and this is what I saw this week. For those that pressed into that faith, he's giving breath. God's giving the church breath. He's giving the church life. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, there shall be no end to the increase of his government. He's on the move. He shall rule on the throne of David. That's a crazy statement. Like when you think about it, Jesus, he says this in Revelation, he's coming back to reign on the throne of a human named David. <laughs> Blows my mind. David, you know, a couple weeks ago we started this series, Generations, 
And if you remember, I read from Luke chapter 3 where it starts with Jesus and it ends with Adam and there's all these sons and fathers and fathers and sons in between. And right in the middle of that genealogy of Jesus is this man named David. Smack dab in the middle. You've heard of him. You've heard of him as a shepherd boy. You've heard that this kid that killed the giant, right, Goliath. You've heard of this warrior named David. You know this king. You know his stories. I mean, even if you're not a Christian today, even if you're not a Christ follower, I guarantee you've heard of David and Goliath. And those in this room, you've memorized some of his poems. Psalm 23. You've read his writings. You've sung his songs. This guy's name was David, and we're still talking about him today. But he was a human just like you and me. He was... He had failures just like you and I have. He messed up. He screwed up. He was just as in need of a savior as you are and I am. But there was something special about David. So special that Jesus says, I'm coming back to reign on the throne of David. So special that when Jesus was here on earth 2,000 years ago, they referred to Jesus as the son of David. God said this about David in Acts 13. He said, but God removed Saul, the the first king of Israel, who was half-hearted, partial obedience to God. God removed him and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything. He will do everything that I want him to do. That's why Jesus is coming back to reign on the throne of David, because of David's heart condition. And it's one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. A few months ago, um, I was on a tropical location with my wife, looking out at the Pacific Ocean, and, and I was in the pool. My wife was reading probably on a chair behind me. I was in the pool, and I just, I had this moment that I'll never forget with God. It's what, it's what stirred up this series that we're in right now. And I just simply said to God, God, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now? Like, in my heart, in this church, in this city, across the world, what are you doing right now in this season? And he showed me the waves crashing onto the shore. He showed me these palm trees that were just moving with the breeze. And he said, see, the waves, they don't ask questions. They just move. They just crash. The palm trees, when the wind hits them, they just move. Like whatever direction the wind is blowing, my spirit's blowing, it moves. And I felt the spirit say to me, Do you notice what's missing? And I looked across from where I was standing in the pool, and there were all these chairs. Probably 50, 75 chairs, and nobody was in them. I said, oh, the people are missing. 
The wind is moving the trees. The waves are crashing on the shore at his command. And the people are missing. And the Spirit of God said to me, where is the heart of David? Because that's the heartbeat that I'm coming back to reign on. I want the heart of David that will move whenever I blow, that will move crashing like waves on shore. I want the heart of David that is even more undignified, even more reckless than it's ever been before. That's the heart of David because that's the heart of God. So how do we get the heart of David? See, I believe the heart of David is developed in the secret place. And then it's declared in the public space. And if you get that order mixed up, it's a problem. My wife was right this this past week. I was wrecked with this whole olive situation. This wrecked in a good way. Like just seeing God move across the, the globe, move across his church. And then being reminded of my own daughter's story. See, it doesn't matter if you're without breath for two seconds, two days, two weeks, 200 years. You will be resurrected. If you know Jesus, your body will be resurrected at some point. And that's up to him. But if we're not moving and pressing in, I mean, he did say to his disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead. Period. We don't understand the mysteries of God because we're not God. But that doesn't mean that we should stand from a distance and not press into what he's doing. Because he is resurrecting his church. He is saying, wake up, O sleeper. I'm giving breath. I've answered your cry. I'm giving breath back to my church. It can be costly. It was costly for Jesus. It's costly for some worship leaders in California who have danced and worshipped and cried their eyes out, but there's enough faith there that God did move. He is moving. And the only question is whether we'll join him or not in his movement. The heart of David is developed in the secret place, and it's then declared in the public space. The heart of David breathes in the breath of God, but it doesn't hold it there. It has to breathe it out. It releases the breath of God, but first it must be breathed in. We first find uh, the story of David in uh, 1 Samuel 16, if you want to turn there. As I mentioned previously, the first king of Israel, Saul, had disobeyed God. And so God told the prophet Samuel that he was going to replace Saul on the throne of Israel with someone else. And, And he told Samuel to fill his flask with olive oil and go to a town named Bethlehem. Sound familiar? Go to a town named Bethlehem and find the house of Jesse. And I'll tell you which one of his sons to anoint as the next king of Israel. 
And so Samuel obeys the Lord and he goes to the house of Jesse and Jesse gathers all of his sons around, gathers all of his family around because the prophet is coming to my house. It's a big deal, huge deal. And Samuel, he first sees Eliab, which was Jesse's oldest son, tall, dark, and handsome. And Samuel thinks to himself, this is easy. That's got to be the guy. And the Lord says to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Because the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. Hello? The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. We talk so much about heart condition at Church 214. We will always talk about heart condition at Church 214 because it's so important. It's so vital. We have to be worked on from the inside out. And so one by one, Jesse's seven sons, sons come before Samuel. And each one that passes by, God tells Samuel, that's not the one, 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 that's not the one. I think I got seven there. Has God ever told you to do something, and you're like, what? It's like these worship leaders from California, they, they know beyond a shadow of a doubt, God told us to pray for resurrection. And now they're like, we don't understand but we trust because he is faithful and he is true. And like I said, God is resurrecting. He is giving breath. We just don't understand sometimes what he's doing because we're looking at it through our own eyes, not his eyes. And in this moment, Samuel is so confused. He's heard from God. He goes to Bethlehem. He goes to Jesse's house with his flask of olive oil to find the next king. And one by one, the seven sons come before him. And one by one, God says, no. No, 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 no. And he's out of options. Isn't that just when God likes to, when we are out of options? When what we see doesn't make sense? And Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, hey, I see your seven sons, your whole family's gathered here, very nice family. By chance, do you have another son? which is kind of a crazy question to ask because here's the thing. If the prophet is coming to your house, you're gathering all your family, your servants, your cats, your dogs, your donkeys. You're going to watch what the prophet does at the ceremony of sacrifice at your house. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened at the house of Jesse. You wouldn't exclude anyone unless... Unless you had to hide someone out of shame. Unless you didn't want the prophet to see the evidence of your guilt. And Samuel turns to Jesse and he says, do you have another son? And Jesse sheepishly, I think, says, oh yeah, kind of forgot. There's still the youngest. He's out back with the sheep. He's out back, Jesse? The prophet's at your house performing a ceremony, perhaps the most important event in your family's history, and you left one of your sons out back? See, we don't know this definitively, but many scholars believe that David was an illegitimate son. 
And David himself writes in Psalm 51.5, he says, In sin did my mother conceive me. In any case, Jesse didn't invite him to the party. His father didn't include him to the party. He was the leftovers in the world's eyes, in his family's eyes. Maybe you can relate. What the world sees as an afterthought, what the world sees as just leftovers, what the world knows as just the son of a carpenter. See, Jesus could relate too. What the world just knows as a shepherd boy, not good enough to be invited to the family feast, not a real son. What a lie from the devil. You see, God had other plans. And God will always, 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 always take what the world sees as a negative and he will turn it around for good. He's just waiting for your heart to get in the right position. He's just waiting for your heart to get in the right position. Do you know the starting place for defeating a giant? It's a heart that's developed in the secret place. Do you know the beginning place for becoming a king? It's a heart that's developed in the secret place. Do you know the starting point for becoming one of the greatest warriors, musicians, poets this world has ever seen? A throne that Jesus is coming back to reign on. It's a heart that's developed in the secret place. See, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. David could have chosen isolation and just had a pity party. It would have been very easy. We've all done it. He could have just crumbled under the misery of being rejected by his earthly father. But instead, he used it as an opportunity to lean into his heavenly father. Instead, he used the solitude as a gift to lead in defeat bears and lions, to write psalms, to get close to the heart of God, to put all of his weight into his heavenly father. See, the heart of David is developed in the secret place, and then it's declared in the public space. And Samuel, the anoints David, the shepherd boy, the runt of the family, the forgotten one, in the backfields, the one who his earthly father was ashamed of. It's no wonder that Jesus was born in that same town in a back row woods stable. It's the heart of the father. And God saw David's heart. God was attracted to David's heart. A whole heart fully pursuing him. Not perfect. David was far from perfect, but he had a repentant heart. A wrecked heart, a heart that moved when God spoke. A heart that moved when God spoke. A heart that moved him when God spoke. And it was 15 long years from the anointing as king to the appointing of king. For David, 15 years of pruning, 15 years of learning how to be a son, 15 years of running from his enemy. See, God may have promised you something. Blake's talked about it when we opened the service this morning. But don't rush what needs to happen because it has to happen in the secret place first. It has to happen here first. It has to happen inside of you before it will happen outside of you. The kingdom must happen in here first. Our hearts must be wrecked in the presence of God. And see, the more our hearts are moved by him, the more that he moves in us. 
He's attracted to those hearts. He's attracted to the heart of David. And I want to focus on one moment in David's life. I want to fast forward 15 years to the moment he becomes king of Israel. 15 years after he was a shepherd boy anointed by Samuel. And in his first act of king, David and his warriors, they take the city called Jerusalem. And they make a home there. They, they call it the city of David. And, and King Hiram of Tyre sends carpenters and masons and expert builders, and they build this palace for David in Zion. And then David gathers 30,000 of his most elite fighting troops to bring the Ark of God home, the Ark of the Covenant, which in the, the Old Testament, the first covenant, that Ark carried the presence of God, the tangible, actual presence of God. And so you can imagine the entire country is just so excited. They are lining the streets. They are ready for the presence of God to come into Jerusalem, into the city of David. And they are watching. They are shouting. They are cheering. David was bringing the ark home. David was bringing the presence of God back to the tabernacle. It was coming. God's presence was about to enter the city. And, and with that backdrop in mind, David writes Psalm 24 where he talks to the, the doorways of Jerusalem, the gateways of Jerusalem. He said, you haven't seen a king like this before. You've seen a lot of kings. But he, he, he speaks to the doorways. He says, you've got to lift the, your gates up higher. You've got to lift them wider. You've you got to let this king of glory in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the king of glory, the Lord of hosts. You've never seen anything like this before. The presence of God is coming. He says, lift up your gates, O ye heads. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. Then he says this. He says this. He declares over the people. He declares over himself. He says, this is the generation of those who diligently seek him as their greatest need. Another translation says this is the de generation with a desperation. And I'm declaring that over this church today, that we are the generation of those who diligently seek him in the, in the private space first. As their greatest need, seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else follows. If you get the order backwards, you miss everything. So David's talking to himself, he's talking to the people, he's prophetically declaring what's about to happen in that city, he's the glory of God is coming, the presence of God is coming home, and David was so overcome, he was so overwhelmed, the heart of David was so wrecked by the presence of God that he began to dance. The king begins to dance. This is what not some private ceremony, the entire nation is there. 2 Samuel 6 says, And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. He didn't hold anything back. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. The, the heart of David, the inside of him exploded into the public space. See, faith releases movement. The heart of David is developed in the secret place, and then it's declared in the public space. 
Watch this, 2 Samuel 6, 16. Then as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, who was King Saul's daughter. If you remember, King Saul was removed because of partial obedience to God. Partial obedience is not obedience. And it's interesting that the Bible describes, every time that it mentions her in this chapter, it describes her as Saul's daughter, not David's wife. It says David's wife here as well, but it adds Saul's daughter. And I think, I know it's because of what's going on in this situation. And Michael, Saul's daughter, looked down from the window above and saw King David, her husband, leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she felt contempt for him in her heart because she thought him undignified. It's so interesting. The entire country is together. They are unified in celebration. All of the people of Israel, they're shouting, they're screaming, they're blowing the ram's horns. This is the greatest day the country has ever seen. The presence of God is coming back. And here's Michael, David's wife. David's wife. And she's watching all of this from a distance. She is the person in Israel that is the furthest away from the presence of God. When she should have been right beside her husband. Herself dancing. And before you criticize her, how many times have you looked on from a distance at the move of God and judged? And criticized. I would venture to say that you do it all the time. Because I've done it. It's demonic. That is demonic. That is the spirit of Michael. From a distance, Michael could not experience the presence of God. All she could see from a distance was her husband, the king, making a fool of himself. All she could feel from a distance was worry and anxiety about what everyone else thought. The spirit of Michael is demonic. It isolates. It divides. It looks on from a distance, and it can't even recognize the move of God when it's happening right in front of our eyes. Michael should have been the first one beside her husband shouting and screaming along with the nation. Michael should have been dancing right there with them. See, the spirit of Michael is a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. The spirit of Michael seeks the pleasure of man instead of the pleasure of God. The spirit of Michael stiff arms the presence of God and keeps it at a distance. Safe Christianity. I would venture to say that's not Christianity. The spirit of the God says, come, come. He's always inviting us closer. The heart of the Father is inviting us into his presence. You know, Jesus said in the New Testament, it's a scary verse, he said, I'll spit them out of my mouth that kind of lukewarm Christianity. Another place he says, depart from me. I never knew you because you held me at a distance. 
And some of you are wondering why you're not hearing the voice of God in your life. And it's because you're watching him from a distance. You're missing what the Father is doing. You're watching from a window instead of dancing in the streets. You are so concerned with what, what people think that you don't even see the celebration going on right outside your own window. You can't see the Father because you're looking at the reaction of other people instead of looking squarely into the face of Jesus. You're missing his presence because you're consumed with the approval of others. 2 Samuel 6, verse 20 says this, David returned home to bless his family. He's so excited. He's like, I'm going to bless my family. And he walks in <laughs> to the spirit of Michael. Michael, here it is again, Saul's daughter, came out to greet him. And sarcasm was well and alive back then. She said, how wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, exposing himself to the eyes of the servants' maids like some burlesque street dancer. Wow, I just came home to bless my family. <laughs> Didn't see you out there, honey, in the streets dancing with me. And David replied to Michael, and he says, In God's presence, I will dance all I want. Because he chose me over your father. And the rest of our family, our family, and made me a prince over God's people, Israel. Oh, yeah, I'll dance to God's glory more recklessly than you just saw. More recklessly than you just saw. As far as I'm concerned, I'll gladly look like a fool. But among those maids that you're so worried about that you got your eyes fixed on instead of Jesus, I will be honored. And Michael, Saul's daughter, was barren the rest of her life. That's tragic. You're a part of the vine. unless you're so consumed with creating fruit that you miss being a part of the vine. Lean into the Father as a son, as a daughter. The fruit comes out of that. All dance to God's glory more recklessly than this. See, the Father is looking for the heart of David. Hearts that are completely 100% abandoned to him. Hearts that will move. Just like when he sends the wind on those palm trees. Hearts that will move. Just like when he crashes the waves onto the beach. Hearts that will move. And he's wanting to move your heart. He's blowing on your heart right now. The only question is if you will be obedient and move. See, David's dancing came from that place of being a son. Being a son. How could he not dance? How could he not move 
when the presence of God was there. On that beach, God spoke to me. He said, where is the heart of David? I want the heart of David that will move whenever and wherever my spirit blows on them. I want the heart of David that will be even more undignified, that will be even more reckless than it's been in the past. See, this is what's incredible, and I've been pondering this all week. One of the last verses in the New Testament, Revelation twenty-two sixteen. Jesus talking. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. That's you. That's me. He says, I am both the source of David and I am the heir to his throne. Jesus is the source of your heartbeat, but he is also inheriting the heartbeat of David that's coming from you. That's a responsibility. That's huge. He is the source and he is the heir. He is the alpha and the omega. He's inheriting the heartbeat of David that he put in you. Now it's your job to steward that well. Now it's your job to move at his command, to to allow the spirit to blow you and move you and become obedient with everything that you have. Why don't you stand up for me? We're going to do something a little different today. This is going to be a a prophetic declaration over your heart. I want you to just take that chair that you've been sitting on and fold it up. You're going to have to move your cups and your your drinks and your coats. You might have to move a few more chairs too, but there'll be some carts coming to the side here and just put your chairs to the side. This is a declaration of what's going on in your heart. We are clearing the space for him. This will be the new way that we do tear down. Isaiah 11.10 says this, In that day the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Let's make sure that land is the land that we're standing on. Why don't you just close your eyes and focus on the face of Jesus. Focus on his presence. See, the presence of God, if you know him today, it's within you. It's not in a box anymore. It's not in the Ark of the Covenant. You live in a better covenant, a more glorious covenant. You are the carrier of the presence of God. How can you not move? How can you not dance? And this might be uncomfortable. We've cleared the space, though. We're clearing the space in our hearts. We're declaring to the Lord, we're clearing everything else away except for you. 
We cancel the spirit of Michael in our lives. We cancel the spirit of Michael in our lives. We are not going to look on from a distance any longer. We're going to move at your command. And I don't, this morning, I don't know what that looks like for you. There's, there's rugs up here at the front. Maybe many of you have not knelt in the presence of God before or in a long time. Maybe you've never lifted your hands in worship before. Maybe you do need to dance. I don't know what you need to do, but you look into the eyes of Jesus. You focus on him. You don't look at the maids. You don't look from the window. You press in. You let God do a work in your heart. Let this be a defining moment in your life when you say no to the spirit of Michael. We cancel that spirit, Jesus, over my heart, over every heart that's listening to this message. We cancel it. It's not welcome in this tabernacle, this temple, this heart. We will not look on from a distance. We will get close to you, closer than we've ever been before. God, move us, blow us, wreck us. I will be more reckless than I've ever been before in my worship. I will be more reckless than ever before in the private space of my worship. See, it starts at home at 2 a.m. on your face before God. I woke up in my living room this last week. I don't know what day it was. I woke up on my face, and all I know is that God did something in my heart. He moved me. It was more reckless. I want to be more reckless because he was reckless for me. He went to the cross for me. He was so undignified on that cross, so reckless for me, for me. How can I not move in his presence? How can I not kneel and and just be a crazy person in the presence of God? I don't look to the left, to the right. I don't look at what anybody else is doing because I'm just called to be me. I'm just called to be a son. I'm just called to be a daughter. I want to be wrecked in the presence of God. Somebody move. Somebody move, somebody get on their knees, somebody lift their arms, somebody worship today, worship today, worship today, Jesus, we need you. This is the generation with a desperation, I'm declaring it. You may not feel desperate for Jesus, but you are, you are, step into it. God, wreck them, show them, wreck me, Jesus, more than I've ever been wrecked before. He's here. We're not manufacturing something. We're stepping into something. We're stepping into a new era, a new presence of Jesus. It's already within us. We just need to wake up to it. Breathe him in. Breathe him out. Be obedient to what the Spirit is telling to you to do in this moment. Don't look from the window. Don't look from the window. Don't hold him at a distance. Don't stiff arm him. You may need to confess some things in this moment. You may need to, to, to get on your face in this moment. You may just need to lift your hands and worship. You may need to take three steps to the left. I don't know what you need to do, but you need to move. 
Sometimes we need to move our physical bodies in order to move our hearts. God, wreck us. Soft hearts. Tender hearts, not hearts of judgment. We cancel the spirit of judgment. It's gone. We cancel the spirit of Michael. It's gone in Jesus' name. That demonic spirit will not live in the body of this church. Lean into the Father in this moment. Press into the glory of the Father in this moment. His presence is in you. And if you don't know him today, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I turn to you. And just like that, you become a son. You die with him on the cross. You are resurrected from death to life. You can do that in this moment. Jesus, I turn to you. I follow you. I step after you. Wherever you're going, I'm going to go. I'm going to move. That's what a disciple is. That's what an apostle is. We're moving. He's moving. We can't stay where we've been. We've got to go. We've got to move. Let's declare it as we sing this out. God, move us.